Oh yeah, we really have to talk on the mic because of the fan. Yeah, we need to. Everybody remember where's your mic, Sir Victoria? Then find your mic. No, that this will be for the people who sit here. Yeah? Okay, very good. Oh, okay, there are two here, but it's okay. And there's one there. Okay, we'll go around. Amen. So we are looking at Revelation chapter twelve. What do you think? What can you tell me about Revelation chapter twelve? Just popcorn. Or can you tell me about Revelation chapter twelve? If you hear Revelation chapter twelve, what do you think immediately? What pops out? Anything that could possibly pop out? Chapter twelve. What pops out? La, 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 yeah, yeah. The third interlude. Yes, it's part of the third interlude. Actually, is that where the third interlude starts? Or is that in 11? It starts here, okay. So it's the beginning of the third interlude. That's the first thing you, you're, you're going to remember. Uh, and you know what? The only thing most Christians know and think about Revelation chapter 12 is. And they overcame him by the blood, and there was war in heaven. See, because people just grab scripture here and there. And um, 80%, 90% of Christians don't have not studied what we are studying. So, there's only scripture they can think of in Revelation chapter 12. Are you following? So, you see that what the Bible study is doing to you. And if Christians who have not gone through this study, I sit there here, I say, what do you think about Revelation 11? They'll be looking at you, 12. And when you say third interlude, it's like Greek. Are you, are you all following? So what, what, what you're getting is very important material. What else does it tell you? Revelation chapter 12. Um, it spoke about the heavenly woman. Yes. And last time, we, I think it's the last time, that we were having a discussion on who the heavenly woman exactly. represents. After that, we had another one. I think you, you missed it. But, but at least you remember that it made an impact. It's a very good, it's a very good, um, the, the, there are the principal players. The heavenly woman was the first mentioned among the, so when you think Revelation chapter 12 uh, to 13 and 14, that now there are principal players. And in, in, in chapter 12, the three or four key principal players in chapter 3, in, in uh, chapter 12, Amen. There are a lot of principal players in the whole interlude. But in chapter 12, the key principal players, persons, are the heavenly woman and her child, the dragon, and the... Uh, Michael and the archangel and his angels, and then God's people, the rest of yes. the children of the heavenly woman. So about five principal players in that chapter. When I'm talking about that chapter, when you go to chapter 13, you have the two beasts, the Antichrist and the false prophets. Amen? So on and so forth. So we, we, we need to be acquainted with this book. Uh, if, if you're studying a book, book by book study in the Bible, you, one of the things you get uh, from it is that you get acquainted. It's like the floor plan of this church. Those of you who are members here, you're acquainted with it. Are you following? Now, if somebody is coming here for the first time and he needs to use the restroom, you ask you, where is the restroom? But none of you will have to ask anybody, where is the restroom? Do you understand? That's what learning does. You get acquainted with the subject material. 
whatever study you're doing in life, make one of the goals is that you get acquainted with this with the study material. And then when you go uh, and uh, in education they, they, they call it the mastery of the subject. You have to have mastery of the subject. Praise the Lord. And whenever anybody has mastery in their subject, their performance is very impressive. They will, they will command impression. Amen? Alright. So, these are the two main things we can think of the of re- re- revelation. Okay, that, that's another thing, another key thing that you can think of when you think about Revelation 12. Come on. The principal thing. The key thing. In terms of theme. Theme. You, you spoke about part of the theme is third interlude, yes? All the positioning, the location is third interlude and um, exactly, exactly that's the primary theme in that chapter which is only a part of the third interlude. Is it clear? Alright, so let's Continue with verse 7. I don't want us to start from verse 1. Reading verse 1. Uh, okay, verse 7. Who's reading? You're going to read the text. The, the scriptures for us. You read the, the, the handout. Go ahead. Verse 7. On the outline. Verse 7, and there was war in heaven, mm-hmm. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. Mm-hmm. The dragon and his angels warred, waged war. After the flight of the heavenly woman, John's attention was drawn to a raging war in the heavenly or spiritual realm between the dragon and his angels on the one hand and on the, and the, and on the one hand Michael and his angels. Or should be and on the other hand. On the other? Amen. Yeah, on the other hand. My mistake. Michael and his angels. Amen? Amen. Amen. Did you understand that now? Is that clear? Now, what do those two camps represent? Are there two camps? What do they represent? Speak up. Mike. Mike. What do they represent? So there's war between the heavenlies and the dragon. No. They, they, all, all of those are heavenly. Uh, heavenly does not necessarily mean that something is holy. Uh, in the heavenlies, we're talking about heavenlies here. Amen? Not heavenly. So, so both the dragon, they are in the spirit realm. Heavenlies mean spirit realm. Heavenly mean uh, something that's of God's heaven. There are many heavens. So, what are their two camps? What do they represent? There are two camps there. Are you, or two armies? Uh-huh. Or two groups. Say the dragon and his angels. Oh, yes, I hear on that. On one hand, 
Yes. And then Michael and his angels. Yes. What do they represent? Huh? Kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. Very good. That's the language I'm looking for. I will follow in. There's a clash of two kingdoms. God's kingdom versus Satan's kingdom. Are we all following? All right. So we need to understand the language, and that's what I'm looking for. Uh, and this conflict is all through the Bible. You see it all through the Bible. It didn't start in the book of Revelation. It started actually before Adam was created. Are we all following? But here is coming to a climax. It's coming to a consummation. All through scripture, this conflict has been on. Before Adam was created, Lucifer coming up against God's angels. Are you following? And then, at, at, in the garden, amen? Are we all paying attention? Yeah. In the garden, between the serpent and Adam and Eve. In, in Egypt, between Pharaoh's magicians and uh, Moses and his you can go on and on. Balaam, Balak versus Israel. Joshua and all the fat, uh, forces against him. That's the conflict. Uh, at, at the cross, he made a historical climax. Are you all following? Today is on around us. The spirit versus the flesh inside of us. And around us also, us and the principalities and powers and demons that we contend with. And continues, then here is going to come to a kind of begin to make a consummation. This is the beginning of the consummation of that conflict. Are we all following? Okay, because I really, really want us to get to the nitty gritty of things. We need to understand these things. There has to be a reason why you are here every Friday evening. You need to put you on a different level intellectually, emotionally, behaviorally, spiritually. Are we all following? Amen. That's why we are here. Otherwise, the best place to be, to be honest with you, on a Friday evening is your homes. But I have to say this. There are people who go home the Friday evening, their lives are not better. They are thinking over their lives and so on and so forth. So our, and some of them will be, end up in the, in the ER for the rest of the evening or in some doctor's office. I'd rather stay, spend the time here. Are you all hearing me? I'd rather spend the time here. Some are in the police prison. Some are watching Nobody Loves Raymond. This am I right? I'm, I don't say you watch it, but you have folks on their job who talk about it when they come to. Are you following? When I used to watch it, she stopped. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Nobody lo- lo- loves Raymond. Raymond. So on and so forth. So, but are you are you are you following the whole gist? All right, continue. Of course, this is essential spiritual warfare, namely that conflict between God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom. Mm-hmm. Accordingly, as portrayed here, it doesn't seem to belong to any particular or specific event or incident in history and time. Thus, it may be taken as typical as typical picture of. The spiritual conflict between God and Satan, good and evil. Is that correct? I, I've explained that, right? All right. I, that's what I've explained. It's a picture of what has been going on in the spirit realm. 
you, you have to realize that the book of Revelation is a vision. Huh? That somebody had. So at this interlude, he's seeing this vision. This third interlude, this particular vision about warfare. And like I said to you, warfare has been going on even before this present earth and Adam were created. It started in the pre-Adamic age. That was when Lucifer, Lucifer, see, when, when we, we always think of conflict as something that started in the Garden of Eden. It started in the old Eden. There was an Eden before the Garden of Eden. Uh, Isaiah speaks of it. Yes. Amen. Uh, remember, it talks about how Lucifer was in charge of worship in the Eden of old. That was not the Eden that Adam was given charge of. Are you all following? Uh-huh. So, conflict began before this present earth was created. It was actually as a result of that conflict that Lucifer had become Satan before this present earth from the previous conflict that he polluted this present earth and the new king. Are we all, am I making sense? And even from Eden, the Garden of Eden, all through Egypt, Pharaoh's palace, all through the wilderness, all through Canaan, and after that, the Greek, the Roman, the Babylonian uh, 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 captivity, Mediterranean captivity, all those, the warfare between good and evil. Amen? True, in our own day and age, I've told you how the warfare is afflicting us, right? Amen? Affecting us. Or how that number one, there's a civil one inside of us between the what? The spirit and the flesh. And then all around us, there are forces of evil. Demons, uh, principalities and powers and human servants of Satan rising up against us. Against the church. Are we all following? Now, in, where we are reading now, it will come to a kind of consummation. That's the beginning of the consummation of the world. So what um, John was seeing here was a panoramic vision. Amen? Let's move on. Michael, who led God's angelic forces in a conflict, is repeatedly cited in the Bible as the parton, patron. patron and guardian angel of God's people who regularly intercedes and fights for them. Mm. Alright, go um, ahead. This fact is also acknowledged in the Apocryphal book. Apocryphal book of Enoch. Okay, of Enoch. Okay. Now, let's read Daniel ten thirteen quickly. Daniel ten thirteen. Have you noticed how many times we have to refer to the book of Daniel? Huh? It's isn't that significant? Amen. It's very significant. Now, one fact we must note is that um, John, being a Jew must have read the book of Daniel and that's why he was able to when he saw the, the visions he was able to relate with them very well uh, and he saw it and he must have remembered that he has seen such things in his studies of the Old Testament Amen so it's interesting that we we are seeing such number of references back to the book of Daniel and you have not even seen anything yet so read Daniel ten thirteen. Daniel ten thirteen. Uh-huh. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was with was withstanding me for twenty one days. Mm. 
Then behold, Michael, one of the chief prince, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Do you remember Daniel chapter 10? Is the warfare also. Remember when Daniel fasted and got the answer the first day, but it took 21 days for the message for the angel that was released to come and give the answer to come true. Why? Because the prince of Persia obstructed the angel that came from God. Are you following? And who was he that God dispatched to go and give the breakthrough? Michael. Amen. You see that? Amen. So that's the sighting of Michael in Daniel chapter 10. That's regular. And that other angel was telling Daniel now what had happened. I noticed how he referred to uh, Michael. He referred to him as one of the chief princes. Chief princes, angels have Kedah, and um, that's a principality, a godly uh, prince angel, not a principality in the sense of the negative. But that's what we call archangel in, in godly terms. Amen? Praise the Lord. Now, that's one area. Amen? Read verse 21. Verse How- 21. Daniel 10 verse 21. Mm-hmm. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Mm-hmm. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces uh-huh. except Michael, your prince. Your what? Prince. Your prince. Now, did you notice what he said? There's no one actually who also, I'm going back. I'm not counting on any other person except Michael, who? Your prince. And pay attention to that. I've shared that with you on Holland Avenue <laughs> many times. Um, I wish you can have good, some good memory. Uh, memory is very important in learning, and especially in the Bible. Memory is very important. What I find about Christians is that when you share the grace, they dust off <laughs> whatever they learn. They dust it off for the whole week. When they show up next Sunday, they come with all kinds of troubles. We allow troubles to take over our minds. You know, I, I, it's very important that we, you know, knowledge is not enough. Knowledge is not enough. I'll tell you what works. When knowledge is perceived, that's only step one. Acquisition of knowledge is only step one. And it won't do you much good unless you substantiate it and reckon with it. Any information that is just perceived and known may not work for you if you don't reckon with it. And of course, you know what it means to reckon with some inform- with information. What does it mean? Keep it, bear it in mind. Take it to heart first and bear it in mind. Why? So that when the occasion, amen, when the occasion demands, it comes out, you act on it. That's the only knowledge. That's only when knowledge can help you. If all you do about facts is to just perceive it, you will forget it. And when you need it, you, you won't have it to use. Are you following? And after the, the situation is over, then you say, oh, how come I... You understand what I'm saying? And that's what a lot of Christians do, is that they acquire this information and they don't substantiate it, they don't reckon with it, when the question comes, they are defenseless. Amen? Alright. 
So let's go back to that. Except Michael, who? No. Yeah, the first time he said the prince. Okay. This time he said your. Who is he talking to? Is who is he using the pronoun your for? The people of God. No. Primary individual. Daniel. Daniel. Then by implication, us. But Daniel. All right. I will come back to that. Let's go to Jude 9. Jude 9. Jude is only one chapter. That's why you don't have numbers. More, more than one number there. It's only one chapter. So you go straight to verse Jude 9. nine. How many of you have read the book of Jude in your life? Okay, studied it. Okay, you see? You can imagine what happens when I ask that question on Sunday morning. There's like, Jude? Is it in the Bible? I'm telling you. They may think it's our Jude here. Amen? And at the end of the day, they will go and ask the pastor, what was pastor saying about Jude? How Jude doing? Because I hear pastor say something about Jude. Telling you, church folks are interested. Years ago, we were in a, in a fellowship, and there was an incident that happened in the fellowship, and some sister was upset, and when they had, she had opportunity to speak, she said, the problem here is that there's an Achan in the midst. Achan, there's Achan in the midst, in the fellowship. There's an Achan in the fellowship. At the end of the day, people were gathered together <laughs> Who is Brother Aiken? <laughs> Who is Brother Aiken? Is he a brother in Amish known as Aiken? I'm telling you, church people, if you hang around so much. All right, let's get. Let's go to Jude nine. Jude nine. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body no, of. No, start from eight. Actually, maybe pay attention there. Yet in the same way these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority mm-hmm. and revile angelic majesties. But Michael the archangel when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses did not dare pronounce against him a rallying judgment but said the Lord rebuke you. Stop right there. We need to understand that scripture, that passage is not powerful. Huh? It's talking about Christians who defy spiritual authorities. You notice it's dangerous. Are you, are, you, are you following? It's talking about some of the weaknesses of some Christians. It's talking about them defiling, defying, not defiling, defying, disobeying spiritual authorities and uh, angelic majesty. Angelic majesty. And angelic majesty means angels in the Bible generally mean messengers of god are you following they could be those spiritual beings and also messengers of the gospel so you are careful how you handle them so he goes to give us an example he said for instance when moses died lucifer who had become satan came to contest for the body and guess who showed up michael Showed up and said, no, you can't do that. And he could have cursed him out. But he didn't know, do that. But he recognized the anointing that was on that and said, no, you can't do that. But he said, the Lord rebuke you. 
and it's interesting because some people use it now and the new testament say you can't you can't rebuke the devil no we can i will tell you why say the lord rebuke you he couldn't do it by himself he said lord rebuke you amen amen so that's the point we can do it now because see the lord has given us the authority directly now that's why we have the name of jesus that's the lord so we himself can use the lord the name of the lord to do the rebuking amen praise the lord another time that was done was in the case of joshua the high priest who went before god doing the devil yeah and the command there was the lord rebuke you and anyhow you notice that there they contested over the body of moses are you following and god may may have problem with his servants but you have to be careful what you want to do even when they are falling are you following what i'm saying because you notice that the devil was interested over the body of moses you know how moses died and michael wouldn't let that happen and he knows that god cannot allow the body of moses to be defiled anyhow but the common trend here do you see any common trend in these scriptures about michael any common trend about michael in these three scriptures is very important what's the common trend quickly he was portrayed as the defender of god's people the defender of god's people in that particular case israel but by extension all of god's people that's one archangel whose ministry is to what show up whenever god's people their well-being is endangered are you all following amen so he showed up in um daniel amen uh paul spoke about it in the episode to jude and here in the vision god's people are threatened again and guess who showed up in that war michael praise the lord when god there's another popular archangel whose ministry is mostly to come and deliver direct messages from god who is that gabriel amen the person who would have been the third archangel but who is no more is who lucifer those three angels were known in the bible to be principal angels the greek word for them is ahe that's how the word the same word we get archangels or archbishop or archdiocese or archdeacon that means chief of or prince amen amen all right or chief prince amen is that clear yeah okay with you explaining that why do men take on that 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 title when it wasn't meant for us in that sense to be honest with you the issue with title in the church is a very uh, a, 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 people has gone riot people have gone riot with titles and they take titles they don't understand and one of the truths that was lost in the new test in the modern church is the issue of titles and um, Part of that, number one, is ignorance. And I think another thing is because of pride of men. There are some titles that men bear today in the, in the church that have no basis in Scripture. 
for instance, things like um, Archbishop. I'm sorry to say it. There are many other ones that you can talk about. Pope, His Eminence, all those, and the Reverend, really, not in biblical. There's none. There are at least only about six titles that the Bible set aside for his people, for God's people in the New Testament. Amen? Um, and we, we have done varieties of ministries. And I, I explained it, but it's always good to, to refresh our mind because we do forget and new people do come. So, back to your question. It's very important. Um, things like bishop, for instance. Bishop, pastor, shepherd, elder, in one office. Do you understand? Amen. They are one office, but different words. And the emphasis is different. For instance, elder Greek, presbyteros. Amen. It's the same word for overseer. It's the same office for overseer, bishop. There's a word for overseer as bishop. Amen. And it's the same office and ministry for pastor, shepherd. He's an elder, and therefore he has the elder is the status. Bishop is the office, uh, overseer. Then shepherding, pastoring is the ministry, the service. Are you following? But it's one and the same person. Are you getting this? Archbishop is not there at all. Cardinal and others, they are not there. So you have fivefold ministries. Apostles, prophets, pastors, amen, teachers, evangelists, amen, five, and then you have deacons, six. That's pretty much it. Amen? All right. So whatever happened is tradition and people devising whatever they want to devise and so on and so forth. There's a riot there. Amen? But the emphasis we see in this one, now we see Daniel, we see Michael, and that emphasizes that God's, the interest, the well-being, the safety of God's people was what? At risk. Amen? Go ahead. Michael. And, and, and here, here in this vision. And here in, his, in this vision, mm-hmm. Michael is again pre- pre- Presented as the God-appointed commander of heaven's angelic forces, deployed, deployed to, to take on to take on Satan and his forces in ensuring the well-being of God's people, namely the new or spiritual Israel, also known as the Church. Okay. At most encouraging, a most encouraging news to God's people with regard to this prototype of all spiritual conflict is. Its outcome, which is summed up in the words of verse 11. Okay, so the outcome is what is most encouraging about that conflict. Go ahead. And they, God's people, overcame him, Satan, because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the blood of their testimony. No, word, word. And because of the word. Is that arid blood? It says blood. Okay. Because of the word of their testimony. All right, correct it, please. 
Amen. Amen. So that was the outcome. Amen. So I believe that Michael gave them angelic strength about the real thing. But please, this is not an encouragement to go and worship or pray to angels. Are you all following? All right, moving on. So that's in verse 11. We are going to see that later. But move on quickly. The message is one of a simple, yet profound and eternally abiding truth, and which is that Satan and his forces may rage all they want against God's people, yet they are an, they are an already defeated force, a mere toothless bulldog. Is that clear? <laughs> Did you understand that? It's something you have to apply, you have to reckon with. Amen. They may rage all they want. And that's their pattern. Remember the Bible says, He roars like a lion, seeking whom you may devour. What's the next word? Whom you what? Resist in faith. <laughs> that's what the Bible says. You resist him. Amen. That's what Paul said, or Peter. And then somewhere else, he said, uh, Submit yourself under the mighty hand of God. And do what? Resist the devil. And he will what? Flee. Do those two scriptures line up with this? Huh? Very good. They do. And that's what it is. Praise the Lord. So you, you see the principle there. And that means it's something you can always apply anytime, anywhere. Amen? Praise the Lord. So is that something you can take home with you? That when the enemy is raging, it will always rage. And that's, if you notice, that's the principle these people applied here in the book of Revelation. In that warfare. But you don't wait for that time to apply this, that principle. Because that's the principle that has been working from Adam's time. In other words, that's what Eve could have done to stop. Amen. In Pharaoh's palace, that's what Moses did. In the conflicts that we are going through today, when you look at, it looks at, it doesn't matter what you're dealing with, your back is against the wall. Don't give up. Does anybody follow what I'm saying? Because the enemy and his forces are already a defeated foe. That's the principle. It works anywhere. Praise God. Amen. All right, moving on. Verse 8. Verse 8. And they were not strong enough, and they were no longer a place found for them. Okay, continue. Evidently, they, as here stated, referred to none other than the evil spiritual army or forces of fallen angels under the command of the dragon, who is none other than Satan himself. Stop right there. Did you understand? That's the, the meaning of the pronoun, they. Amen? Continue. Such a routing or beating of Satan and his forces by the forces of Almighty God under the command of Michael reveals the abiding truth of the indomitability. Good. <laughs> See me after. You get something. And the ever superior firepower of God's kingdom and its army. And at the same time, the inevitable, inevitable, inevitable helplessness of Satan's kingdom and its army in, the, in any form of match up to the combat. In combat. Did you understand that? There are two words there that may, you may consider big words, but they are not. 
To be indomitable means that you're unbeatable. You cannot be defeated. Amen? The church is indomitable. Individuals may crash and fall. But the church of Jesus Christ is what? Indomitable. Is there a scripture apart from what we read here to support that? Is there a scripture? Come on now. I'm going to get your, your brains to think. And the no may one found against us shall prosper. Good. And the gate of hell. That's a key one. That's very important. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. See, when you get these principles and stand on them, it doesn't matter what rages around you. They may be falling like bricks all around you. In Psalm 91, say a, ten, a, 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 a thousand may fall around you. And ten thousand. Amen? But they will not do what? Very good. You shall tread upon serpents and scorpions. And over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall harm you. The sun shall not smite you by day, nor the moon. But, I mean, you can go on and on. Individuals may crash. But still... We can pick them up unless they don't want to. Are you following? Praise the Lord. There ought not to be a casualty among us. But if it happens, we can say pick them up if they are willing to lend stretch out their hands. Amen? That's the point. Amen. But the church as an army. And the devil knows. <laughs> are we all following? Amen. Praise the Lord. Alright, so indomitability and inevitability and ever superior firepower of God's kingdom and his army. Alright? And at the same time, the inevitable helplessness of Satan's kingdom and his army in, in any form of matchup in combat. Go ahead, the summary. The summary, unchanging divine evaluation of Satan, his kingdom and its forces is here put as not strong enough. You notice that there? Satan's kingdom is strong, but it's not strong enough against the church. Can you go home with that? Satan's kingdom, Satan's forces, Satan's army against the church. Jesus cursed that army. He said, the gates of hell cannot prevail. So it, it, it may rave up, it may launch its ballistic missiles it may do any kind of thing but it will amount to nothing because it is not what strong enough alright huh? I okay. thought about the scripture that says greater is he that's within me than he that's within that's the, the other side of it so when you know they are not strong enough, then you remember that you have somebody inside of you actually who is the real indomitable force. Who, who is the real indomitable force? Who? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Almighty God. That's the mightiest power in the universe. The Spirit of the Lord. Nothing can defy Him. Are you following? The, <laughs> I mean, for God to depend on Him. Amen? Nothing can defy the spirit of almighty God. It's unbelievable. So, And that same spirit is inside of you and is upon you in the form of an anointing. As a clothing. Amen? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. 
Oh, okay. One, one day, three. Two, yes. Mama, sit. Are we all following? Amen. Can somebody help Mama after she prays? Amen. With that outline. So, not strong enough. I like that. And they were not strong enough. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. What does that last part mean? Maybe you have it in the outline. We'll read it from the outline. Amen? So, okay, go ahead. Not only was Satan and his forces clobbered or thrust in this conflict, more than that, they were dislodged from what they ha- from what they always come to believe to their cap- capital. What they had always, my mistake, come to believe. Mm-hmm. Come to believe to their capital city and military base of headquarters known as the Heaven Lies. The Heaven Lies. The heavenlies. That's the plural for for heavens. And that's like I was explaining before, the heavenlies usually refer to the mid heaven. Amen. There are typically three heavens. The one in the topmost, that's where God's throne is, is known as the third heaven or the heaven of heavens. Then you have the mid heaven. Amen? You, you have the mid-heaven. And then you have the immediate heaven. That's the clouds. Or the sky, literally. But usually when we look up, we see the heavens. Amen? Are you following? So whenever the Bible uses the expression, the word, heavenlies, it's usually talking about the mid-heaven. Are you following? Or the King James uses high places in the new testament now i have to this is a very important observation if you want to that will help you understand scripture amen now the king james uses the word heavenly in high places in two ways in, in two ways in the old testament whatever you see in the king james version high places it speaks of mountains and hills where the Canaanites used to offer sacrifices to their gods. And God warned his people not to worship in those places, high places. Are you all following? In the New Testament, the King James uses the same expression, high places, to refer to what other versions will call heavenlies. So in the King James Version, the word heavenlies in the Old Testament and the word high places in the Old Testament are high places and heavenlies, amen, in the New Te- and high places in the New Testament are different. So, with my explanation, you can understand it. Praise the Lord. But now, they are facing this, Satan's army is facing two, two uh, the, a, a, a double-edged dilemma. They came out against people, and Michael intervened, and Michael neutralized their power. Praise the Lord. And then God's people took over and brought him down. Amen. After Michael neutralized their power, they turned around also and noticed that their headquarters, they were ambushed. God had kicked them out from their headquarters. Because after Lucifer became fell and became Satan, God cast him out from the heaven of heavens. So he came to the third heaven, the mid-heaven. 
to establish his headquarters. Praise the Lord. And that's what happens. But during the time of the end, even that headquarters in the mid-heavens will be kicked out from there again, down to the earth. And that's what God's people will do at that time, to pull him down. Praise God. Is that clear? Huh? Amen. I want us to understand that. Continue. Yes. Okay. So, is that what this verse 8 is telling us now? That there was no longer a place found for yes. in the heaven? Yes. And that, remember, this aspect is going to be a future event. Amen? Praise the Lord. But you have to realize that from the mid-heavens, he operates back and forth. He seeks to go up and seeks to go down. Actually, in the time of Job, he was able to go back. Some authorities believe the book of Job was the oldest book in the Bible. But he wondered, at least in the time of Joshua the high priest, he was able to find his way to the gathering of God's people in the presence of God. How that happened, we don't know. Because it may be a spiritual, it may not be a immediate physical. Because Joshua also did not go up physically. I guess Joshua was on earth and went to the presence of God and Satan came up there to attack him, to accuse him. Amen? So, but that was much we know. Continue. After Satan had, had been kicked out of kicked out from heaven, but it's fall and in his fall oh, in Eden. After his fall, sorry. After his fall, my mistake. After his fall in from Eden. Eden. After his fall in the in Eden of old, mm-hmm. he had set up the headquarters of his kingdom in the mid heaven, mm-hmm. also known as the heavenly places, as the heavenly places or high places, or simply the heavenlies. And from where he had also operated his program and plan of attacking God's people on earth and frustrating God's heavenly purposes, plans, and provisions for. Okay. And here we see that Satan. Stop right there. You, of course, you know about those scriptures. You want us to read them? Uh, okay, let's quickly go to Isaiah 14. Quickly. Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14. 12 to 15. 12 to 15. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, mm. son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. Mm. You who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Mm-hmm. I will rise my tr- raise my throne above the stars of God. Mm-hmm. And I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recess of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to show to recess of the pit. Did you notice that? That, that was his motivation. That was his claim. That was his intention. That was his motive. Are you all following? Now it's interesting. Did you notice his plans, his intents, his claims, right? I, I, I wish we have time to look at that. This was when he was Lucifer. He had not become Satan. But it was this, in trying to execute this plan, that made him to fall. And this was not in the Garden of Eden. This was in the Eden that existed before the Garden of Eden. The Eden of old. Now, it's interesting. There was somebody that those things he was saying belonged to. Who is that? 
Yes, huh? Speak up, mics, please, mics. Huh? Jesus Christ. All those claims belong to Jesus Christ. Here's a lesson. Say that with the mic. They belong to Jesus Christ. Actually, the particular person that Lucifer is interest, was interested in displacing was the Son of God. Amen? And that was why he was also particularly against Adam. Because for him, he can even understand God being that. But why take somebody like his son and make him on the same level with him? And now after that, I protested against that. He kicked me out. And so as I came, came down, he's using a man. He made in his own image. against Jesus and was cast out and then forgot to rub it in on him then he created a whole new person it's like this if I said wait a minute they cast me out for opposing the son of God who I can understand has divine nature how about this guy and they gave him all the authority everything that I used to and you have to understand Adam was made to take over what Lucifer used to do that's what got him mad. And then after he saw Adam, he turned around, there was a woman. <laughs> he was getting crazy. He used to be the one to do all these things. Organize worship and everything. And it seems to me, that's why after all of that happened, God stopped angels from doing a lot of things and made somebody who looked like him. Are we, is that making sense to us? But we don't even appreciate these things because we don't understand. Yes. My question is this. Um, initially, yeah. did God have the premonition of that Adam would He fall? knew what would happen. He knew. That's a good question. My father always asked me that question. <laughs> <laughs> when I got saved newly, because my father was a logical person. You know him. <laughs> Very logical. <laughs> He doesn't like fanfare. He was a simple man. When you come with your fanfare, he'll be looking at you. And they knew him in the village meeting. He just asks one question in a meeting. And they start deliberating. And he takes his bicycle. He, walks <laughs> he, he likes reality. So when I got saved, my younger brother got saved and all that. He couldn't pin him down to ask him because that one doesn't have time for that. But I'm eating with him. And we're sitting in the living room talking about Christ, say, let me ask you a question. Two questions. Did God know that? <laughs> I, I say yes. If 
left him. Why did he? <laughs> One day I was brand new believer. I knew nothing. The Holy Spirit said to me to tell him <laughs> that he saved the last, the best for the last. Did you understand? Before Adam came, there was a Christ from before the foundation of the world. God has a principle he works with. He wants to show you. He will make you an offer. And if you say you can, he will try you. He knew. Amen. He knew. And that's not everything about God that we can understand. He, he, he knew what would happen. He had Christ ready. If you read 1 Corinthians. Let, okay. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. <laughs> and let's see what happens. Amen. And another question you should ask me is, why did God create Satan? That one got me. And then I said to him, one day he said to me, tell him that God didn't create Satan. He created Lucifer, who of his own will became Satan. But did God know it would happen? Yes, he knew. You, see, you will never touch God unawares. Don't even try it. Another time they ask that question is about Esau and Jacob. Okay, so did God know? He knew. But he was not the one that changed things. He gave them choices. They changed it. Adam and Eve had choices to resist the devil. Every temptation we fought, we have a choice. It's the same principle. Are you following? Now, our weaknesses. And does he know we have weaknesses? Yes, he does. But again, he has given us grace to deal with weaknesses. So it's either we follow the weaknesses or we follow the grace. And that's where we are shot beneath God. Are you all following? Where did I ask you to read? Okay, 45 to 47. Quickly. Quickly. We got to go quick. 45 to 47. Uh Uh-huh. So I so also it is written the first man Adam became a living soul mm-hmm. the last Adam became a living a life giving spirit Do, did you notice that one is just a soul Adam never gave anybody spiritual life he gave us biological life are you, are you following but not life giving spirit do you understand if he gave us anything spiritually it was sin the sin nature amen all right Okay. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. Stop right there. I see that. God had both the natural and the spiritual. But in his will, in his knowledge, in his wisdom, he brought the natural first. What's the natural there? Adam. (laughs) Amen. Praise the Lord. Continue. Then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth. Earthly. Uh-huh. Earthy. Earthy. What does that mean? Corruptible. Corruptible. So God knew. Huh? Uh-huh. The second man is from heaven. Aha. Uh-huh. Incorruptible. Divinity. Are you following? <laughs> Go ahead. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. Mm-hmm. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Do you understand that? Very good. Go ahead. Just as who, are, who are those who are now earthy? No. Unbelievers now. 
who are those who are now heavenly believers so in other words the path has been marked out for us You're, we are heavenly we may be dwelling on earth our body the only part of us that is still earthy is the physical body but remember that we have spiritual heavenly bodies waiting for them we have been redeemed the only part of us that has not been really redeemed is the physical needs to be redeemed but we say carrying it because we have a heavenly one within for us now today we have heavenly or resurrection life in earthly vessels earthly vessels or vessels are you all following tomorrow we shall have resurrection life in heavenly bodies or vessels so today we are heavenly unbelievers are what earthy praise god do you follow or i continue just as we have borne the image of the earthy we will also bear the image of the heaven have we borne the image of the earthy yes actually i think it went to a physical body now because it's still corruptible you know so i wish we have time somewhere paul says that even if this keeps wearing old the inner man keeps wearing strong renew i say if the spirit of, if, of him who raised jesus from there dwells in you that's the heavenly that spirit that raised jesus from the grave that same spirit quickens your what mortal what's the meaning of mortal there corruptible and subject to death corruption and death quickens your mortal body so both spiritual physical weaknesses the person in, inside of us keeps quickening it the physical body are you following so this physical body now, and that's why we need divine healing is subject to divine because it's corruptible but the body that's waiting for us has no sickness in it praise god is that clear now all right did you finish it all right continue back to revelation are we are we you see how things are coming up amen so you, you continue and here we see that Satan, his kingdom and forces did not only lose their place in the third heaven or the heaven of God's dwelling, but they would also in the course of Revelation 12 lose their place in the mid heavens or the heavenlies, which they had come to known as their base following the expulsion and fall from the heaven of God's immediate presence known as the third heaven or the heaven of heaven. Okay. Verse 9. Okay, stop right there. Remember yesterday we... We, we, we read where Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. If you notice, he's been falling progressively. From the third heavens, he came to the mid heavens. In the end of the age, he'll fall from the mid heavens to the earth. And when, after the millennium, he will fall from the earth to hell. Do you understand? Amen. Bottomless pit. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right, moving on. Verse 9. Verse 9. And the great dragon was thrown down to the earth. Did you notice that? All right. The serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, and he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Amen. Amen. Continue now. Here the dragon's cover is officially blown, and he is revealed from whom, from whom he is. In this verse, the removal of the first layer of his cover exposed him as the serpent of old. 
This is an obvious reference to the first to his first appearance and operation in the scripture Genesis three one to five. Stop right there. Notice there in Revelation he's called the scripture of the sorry, the serpent of old. Did you notice that? I told you that there are a lot of innuendos in the Bible. Allusions. Are you following? In Revelation, he's being called that old serpent, the serpent of old. What is John referring to? Mike. Mike. The serpent of old. What was he referring to? Who was he referring to? That's the Satan. Satan. He's referring to Satan. And what was he alluding to? Because that's an expression. That's that, a phrase. That his way is like, uh, is it um, snake? No, yeah, that's the name. Okay. That's a, in the, but what he used there is a phrase. In the uh, in deception uh, of Adam and Eve. Exactly. He was the serpent of old. He's referring to Genesis. The serpent part, you got it right. But notice he just didn't say the serpent. He said the serpent of old. To let you know. Is the same person who has been deceiving. And notice the ministry there. Deception. Who deceives the whole world. Where did he start with the deception? In the garden. With the mother of all of us. And to the father. And now when he got them. He got the whole world too. And he has continued to deceive the whole That's the allusion. Words are very important in the Bible. Amen. So we have to pay attention to that. Continue. The removal, yes. The removal of the second layer took off the last covering and and exposed him in his two primary names or designations, devil Mm -hmm. and Satan. Okay. The word Satan is his primary Old Testament designation and means the advisor. Adversary. Adversary. Good. Since it is more of a designation than a personal name, it is also applied to humans and animals. The other word devil is his primary New Testament name or designation and is derived from the Greek di- diabolos. 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 Have you heard Spanish people? That's also Spanish for the devil. Amen. Diabolos. Amen. Now from that the English people derive the word diabolic. Evil. Are you following? Alright, moving on. Which in the e- which in the English simply means the evil one. It also connotes Connotes. such such other meanings as accuser or slanderer. Okay, stop right there. Two primary names, two primary names that is used for this fellow. One is Satan. That's the primary Old Testament name. And it means adversary, opposer. Amen? That's the meaning, the primary meaning of Satan. Satan, in some languages, is opposer, adversary, enemy. Are you all following? Amen. The, and that's common in the Old Testament. The other name is what? Devil means the evil one. Amen. Uh, or the wicked one. It means someone who is wicked and evil. Praise the Lord and therefore diabolic. So that's what it is. Let's go to First Peter 5.8 and see what the New Testament says there. Amen. First Peter 
stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Man, the, your great enemy, the, that one enemy there, is more of opposer enemy, Satan. Then it turns around there in the same breath, calls him the devil. Someone is the evil one. Amen. All right, moving on. With all this nature. Mm-hmm. No, sorry, in addition. In addition of these two main to these. Oh, in addition to these two main designations mm-hmm. or names of this ultimate evil personage or embodiment of all evil, he is also in this verse alluded to as the great deceiver, for he is referred to as the one who deceives the world, deceives the whole world. Mm-hmm. With all this nature of evil and viciousness of his as connoted by these names or designations, the good news is that he and his fighting force of evil angels were cast out from their primary headquarters, known as the heavenly realms, and thrown down to earth. Thousands of years earlier, the prophet Isaiah had seen this incident in a vision and described it with words. Have you... Have you how have you, sorry, oh. my mistake. How have you? How have you fallen from heaven from heaven? Oh, star. I stammered. Huh? I stammered there. Oh. <laughs> from heaven from heaven, oh, star oh. of the morning, son of the dawn, you have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. All right, so that, that we read that already, right? All right. Uh-huh. Continue. This, this may also be what Jesus himself was referring to when, his, when in his testimony to his 70 disciples had said, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. All right. Amen. Okay. Verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. The announcement in this verse is similar to that of the imminence of the dawning of the consummated kingdom of God in Revelation 11.15. How many of you remember what happened in Revelation 11.15? There was an announcement. Remember? Um, They... The seventh, no, the sixth trumpet or seventh. I think the seventh trumpet, right? The seventh trumpet had just been sounded. Amen? And then what happened? You will expect the wrath of the, of the uh, trumpet, of the vials or bowls to start falling. But first, we have an announcement. What was the announcement? Anybody remembers? The kingdom of our now, the kingdom of our God. So it's similar to what this announcement do. Amen? Praise the Lord. And it was after that announcement, and then we went into this third interlude. For those of you who couldn't make it on time, you know we're on the third interlude. Amen. Continue. And both there and here, as well as the entire present chapter, the common question about this verse, and in fact the entire chapter, concerns the timeline of the events described. And the answer is that the events reflect both past history and future experience. Thus, 
being that Satan had been defeated through the historical or past event of the finished work of Jesus of Nazareth on the cross and has in principle remained a defeated foe, yet strictly speaking these reflections point to the ultimate manifestation of this defeat through the manifestation of the consummated consummated version of God's kingdom in the future. Okay, so here, here's what, what that is saying. Um, these announcements will be made in the future. But they are not referring to the kingdom as we have it now. Because already the devil is a defeated foe. Are we following? Through the cross. Amen? But he's defeated already. But he's still going around. Prowling. But his final destruction is in the future. And in this end time event, his end is coming on. That's a consummated kingdom. We have a kingdom now, which is, for lack of a better word, is called a fulfilled kingdom. Are you following? After the cross, remember, after his ascension, Jesus began to rule and reign. We have the kingdom of God now, but not in his consummated form. Amen? It's in his fulfilled form. The consummated form is yet to come. Everything we have as believers today, we have in two forms. We have in a fulfilled form, we have in a consummated form. Can you give me an example? For instance, our salvation is in two forms. Today, we have it in a fulfilled form. Amen? Amen. But there's a consummated form of our salvation. Amen? What is it again? What are the blessing? Every blessing we have, Every grace, every provision we have, every plan of God we have. Can any other example? Let's look at the health. Amen. We have been healed. Praise the Lord. If we fall sick now, we receive healing. It's a blessing. Is that correct? But in the consumer kingdom, we'll not be talking about healing. We'll be talking there'll be no sickness. We're talking about perfect health. Are you following? Finance. We have abundance now, but it's not always there. We have to reach out to get them and so on and so forth. And every once in a while, we, we, we experience some lack or contentment and so on and so forth. But in heaven, consummation, without banks, without anything, the street alone will be gold. You wouldn't need cash. <laughs> you wouldn't even need money in any form. Do you understand? So, um, there will be no lack. That's, thank you. I like the way you, There will not be even any lack. Amen. Are we glorified yet? Yes, we are glorified. The Bible says, every time it talks about our glory, it puts it in the past, for now. But you ain't seen nothing yet. In, the, in heaven, we will be in the midst of glory. Praise God. How about the Holy Spirit? Do we have the Holy Spirit now? Do you know that the gift of the Holy Spirit and the experience of the Holy Spirit is a blessing that is supposed to be in the future, in heaven? But do we have it now? The Bible calls what we have now the first fruit of it, a down payment. Praise the Lord. When are we going to have the fullness of it? In heaven. Amen? It's called now the... We have a taste of the powers of the age to come. 
Praise God. Uh, our experience of victory over Satan, do we have it now? Yes. That's why we got in here. If Satan is still in full control, we can't have this meeting. Because he will show up and slap everybody. He shows up and they don't want to run away. Amen? Why do we preach and teach and why do we cast out demons? Why do we do the things we do? Go on mission. Go and do this and this because he's defeated. He's, he can't do anything to us. Are, are you following? But every once in a while, he does a counterattack. Are you following? But in heaven, he can't touch us because he will not be there. Praise God. All right, moving on. Amen. Go the ahead. Voice, the voice is evidently that one of God's that of what that, that of one that of one of God's people mm-hmm. and most possibly that of one of the martyrs 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 whose souls were under the altar in heaven. There they had with a loud voice inquired about when God would avenge the blood of those believers who dwell on earth. But here they are announcing with a loud voice the beginning of the triumph. Triumphant triumphant of the consummated kingdom of God and its overwhelming and its overwhelming or eclipsing power over Satan's kingdom and all opposing evil and hostile spiritual forces under Satan's command. Yeah, we were told it was a voice that made the announcement, but we're not told whose voice it is. We're at least speculating here that it could be the voice of one of those matters. Amen. Because it seems to me that the people of God in heaven and the angels rejoice. They are watching these things like soccer. Like a soccer match. Are you following? Amen. And when they see some of the breakthroughs, they rejoice. They exude in, 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 uh, in praise. Praise the Lord. Yes, continue. The use of the phrase, our brethren, in the verse, validates the fact that the one speaking from heaven was once a member of the community of God's people on earth. Finding himself now in heaven, he speaks to his kingsmen and women who would still be on earth at the time. Okay, if, if you look, go back to the announcement, it says, for the accuser of our brethren. That was a, a voice from heaven, right? And talk, uh, talking about Satan as the accuser of our brethren on earth, right? So, the suggestion of the word, our brethren, means that it must be a believer in heaven. Is that clear? All right. That's simple logic. Mm-hmm. It couldn't be an angel because angel would not call us brethren in that sense. Amen? All right. The key or most crucial consequence of this redemptive event of the manifestation of this new or consummated dimension of God's kingdom on earth and the consequent overthrow of Satan's kingdom is the casting out of Satan referred to in the verse as the accuser of our brethren. From his absurd throne, usurped throne in the heaven, heavenlies or heavens and to the earth. Okay. The main outcome in this verse is the availability to God's people, the full measure of his salvation, power, and authority. Stop right there before we go to 11. Let's look at the characterization of the devil there as the accuser of our brethren. What do you say about that? The accuser of our brethren. Yes, that Mike, quickly. I, w- I want us to pause there a little bit. Uh, is, is that something important that we need to look at? 
Is that something we need to pause and look at? Huh? Yes or no? So we can move on. Yeah, you want to say something? Yeah, I would say he's an accuser of our presence because he accuses us you know, in the presence of God. Mm-hmm. That you know what we did, that we are sinners. You know, mm-hmm. even though Jesus Christ died on the cross, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. very good. Praise the Lord. Amen. So he accuses us. Um, but I really want us to look at that. He accuses us. Do we have a picture in the Bible how he did this in the past? Huh? We said one this evening. Uh, okay. Yes. About just really happy. In fact, before that, he accused God in the Garden of Eden. You know, in the temptation, he accused God. Amen. So, and if you can accuse God, who are you? Praise the Lord. And now he accused Joshua the high priest. And he is in the ministry of accusation, uh, of accusing. He's a legal expert. The devil is a what? He's a legal expert. He's a lawyer. If You know how I know he's a lawyer? Anybody suggest how we know he's a lawyer? Take, take the mic. I want to register you. Your word and uh, yeah, go ahead. Um, oh, okay. um, Speak up, well. Um, said that it makes us feel guilty when and you know, like he inside us to do something, and then when we do it wrong, he turns around to accuse us of. Very good. His his primary goal there is guilt. Are you all following? Guilt. And a lot of Christians have not really paused to talk about guilt and conscience. I gave a series on conscience years ago. (laughs) You know, by the time we get all the series we've done over the years, I mean, 14 years of ministry, that's about nothing we've not taught. Amen. So, his primary goal is to get the believers to what? Feel guilty or guilt. Now, Zapaskin, I'll come back to you. Why does he want us to feel guilty? And I'll come to you. Remember your what? Get the mic. Why? Take the mic. Or anybody? Yeah. I think he wants us to feel guilty because... He, you know, he has been cast down before. You know, he committed the crime mm-hmm. and he was cast down from the presence of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So now, if we do anything sinful, he's going to tell. It's like he's like telling God, the same thing I did, you cast me out. So your your children are doing it. So yeah, but 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 that's the accusation part of it, and it's making God to feel bad for ever making us. It's like that's no use. You can't send me to jail. All right, but Thank yeah. You. Let me, this is her area. Let me, that's Pascal. No, 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 no. That's your, after they, they will get the mic. Don't go. No, seriously, before I give it to another person. I, I want people to participate in this class, please. I think, he, I think he makes us feel guilty, even though he's the one that inside us to do it, so that we, we, we become so guilty that we don't go to ask. He does that so that our 
our we our sense of righteousness will be punctuated amen so that instead of we feeling the sense of righteousness we begin to feel the sense of guilt heaviness condemnation are you all following and the moment you're feeling that way it will be hard for you to exercise belief you'll be running away from god instead of going to god you can't come boldly that's why god says come boldly do you understand but you have not answered the reason why the answer you're giving are correct yes but i want to show you how i know that he wants us to he's a, that he's a lawyer our answer is that he makes us feel guilty he makes us to do something and, makes, and that's what lawyers do lawyers if you watch the case they're speaking to the the jury and the judge to prove your guilt so that the jury will find you guilty that's what the prosecution attorneys does everything you can throw in to let the jury and the judge know that this guy is guilty amen now answer to tell me <laughs> i think he's uh looking for company oh yes which to, is what you were saying yes yeah, people to be part of uh exactly this, uh, punishment exactly that will, uh, eventually exactly out of uh, to him exactly uh, yeah hell was created for him alone but he wants to do something he doesn't want to go there alone and guess who want to drag with the people who that look like God, the people God brags with, say they're like me and they have righteousness. That's number one. He wants company. That's number two. In other words, he thinks he can hold God hostage. Are you following? He wants to, he thinks he can hold God hostage. And here's what he does. I did this, and you say I'm going to hell. And look at all your people, your children. They look like you, and you call them your children. They are doing exactly the same thing. And I've convinced them that they, are, they have sinned against you. So, you better forget about hell. Because if you send me there, I'll go with them. He didn't know that God was silencing. Are you all following? But yes, and before I show you how God silenced him, I will show you something. How I know that he's a lawyer is that God appointed two lawyers against him. One of you know that Jesus, part of his ministry is lawyer. How do I know? Advocate. Advocate. an advocate. At the right hand of God. That's part of what he's doing. How about on earth? Who is the advocate? Avogado. On earth? The Holy Spirit. That's a primary ministry of the Holy Spirit. Advocate. Are you, and, and are, you, are you seeing it now? Amen. So that's a trial, you know. But even though God has concluded his own trial. Amen. Oh, okay. Very good. I'm sorry. I took your word from you. So, but let's, let, let's turn quickly to Romans chapter 3 and see what God did about that element. Because it's important. Romans, the third chapter. Let's see something happen there. You, you let, let's look at the wisdom of God a little bit, and uh, I will say something about this accusation issue. And us, please remind me. I need to say it. 
Um, did I say Romans? Romans 3. Um, okay. Start from verse 21 to 26. Let's see if that's what it is. Romans 3, mm-hmm. verse 21 mm-hmm. to 26. But now, apart from the law, the mm-hmm. righteousness of God has been manifested, mm-hmm. being witnessed by the law and the prophets, mm-hmm. even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh-huh. For all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh-huh. Being justified as a gift by His grace. Did you notice that? Being justified. What is the meaning of justified there? Huh? Just as if it never happened. And do you know that is a legal word. Justification is a legal word. It's actually acquitted. Because God in God's eyes never happened. So justification is a legal word. What's the religious synonym of it? I'm catching you guys. We've dealt with all this before. Uh, what's the religious? Justification is the same word with another word that we, we use regularly. But justification, that's, no. That, uh, yeah. I like the way. <laughs> yeah. If you are acquitted, then how does God see you? Yeah, let, let, that's, huh? Clean. Yeah, that's another religious word. Righteousness. Righteousness and justification are exactly the same thing, except that one is a religious tone. The other is a legal tone. Which is a legal tone? Justification. Which is a religious tone? Righteousness. They're exactly the same thing. Holiness. So, And holiness and righteousness are not the same thing. Holiness is religious. Huh? And what is the other word for holiness? sanctification alright these are things Christians should know and that's why I'm making time I'm not trying to give you big religious lingo are you all following we need to know our facts very well now he say he justified us hallelujah from what all our sins so guess what he did to the devil he pulled the rug off of the devil's feet. God justified us, acquitted us, and declared us not guilty. And just as if our sins never happened. Are you all following? Amen. So he granted our claimants to continue. Being justified as a gift by mm-hmm. his grace. Through the redemption which is Christ Jesus. Which is in Christ Jesus. Which is in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation Come in on, his Nuna. blood through faith. <laughs> this was to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time. So that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Did you notice that? So it's not only us that Satan accuses. He also accuses God. And God used Jesus to settle Satan's accusation both to on us and on him. Show me in that scripture where what I say this. There are three places in that passage. Did you hear what I said? 
The devil accuses both us and God. He comes to us and says, you guys are sinners, you know that. What have you been doing? And you call yourself Christians? And then he goes to God, God, do you see what your children are doing? They look like you. I did this. You didn't spare me. And let me see what you're going to do. For years, he did that. And he thought, and God didn't answer him. Amen? So he thought he had God on a rope. When God, when Jesus went to the cross, did you see that? Uh, did you see it? When Jesus went to the cross, Jesus silenced him. How? Do you see that in that passage? Come on. Uh, use the word. Use the mic. Quickly. Mm-hmm. You see, that's why we've not finished the book of Revelation. Are you following? Because we make some detours. Huh? Is that okay? You guys like it? Because it's like we are studying more than one book. So don't go and say, oh, we're still on Revelation. No, 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 no. We are doing the whole Bible. Are you following? All right. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, being justified as a gift. By Number his, one is a gift. And what's another word for gift? Uh, be, Grace. Yes. Thank you. All right. And why what, what was it given to us as a gift? For the redemption. Uh, for redemption. Yeah, for the purpose of redemption. Yeah. But Sorry. yeah, but why did somebody have to earn it for us? We are. Uh, we are not worthy. Number one, you're not worthy. Yes, you're right. But somebody say you're not worthy. Uh, it's okay. You're not worthy. Don't worry about it anymore. But that's another reason. You're not worthy, but you need it. So, what happened? Somebody gave it to you. Because you cannot, even though you need it, you can't afford it. That's grace. Okay. Alright. Continue. Now, the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation. As a propitiation. As a what? A propitiation. Nona used to really give me that word. And now she's mastered it. Amen. That propitiation is the word that says appeasement of God. The blood that the high priest will sprinkle on the earth. When God sees it, God is what? Propitiated. Meaning that God is appeased. His wrath, his anger is withdrawn. The judgment that could have come is taken back. Because the blood has what? Atoned. What does it mean? Somebody, another life has died for that sin. Punishment has been met. How does God know that punishment has been met? He sees blood. Blood means life laid down. A life had been laid down for that. So, because the God's principle is that the soul that sinned shall die. But somebody gave us his life in exchange. And that's what God cares about. That there's a blood. Some life has died for that. Are you following? Under the old covenant. But now, Paul is using the old covenant as an example. Okay. And where would the high priest sprinkle that blood? On the mercy seat. It's killed at the altar that's outside. But he takes it to the mercy seat. The box where the ark of covenant and the broken law and the pot of manna is. But the top cover is known as the mercy seat. 
the Hebrew word for that mercy seat is translated in the English as propitiation. So the way that word propitiation was used here is saying that Jesus is the mercy seat upon which the blood was sprinkled. Or the cross is the mercy seat upon which the blood was sprinkled. So no matter what the devil wants to show God our sins, God looks down, sees the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. He doesn't see our sin anymore. That's what he's saying there. The English doesn't bring it out. Do you understand? So when God did that, he silenced the devil. Now show me from that passage what says that he silenced the devil. Huh? 21, what does it say? Said, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Uh-huh. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Okay, they, so the law showed us the example. What the law was saying was pointing to what happened here on the cross. But there's other words where he shows out how God in that in that passage. Yeah, go ahead. Said even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ uh-huh. for all those who believe, mm-hmm. for there is no distinction. For all who all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, uh-huh. being justified as a gift uh-huh. by his grace to the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. Continue, it's in the next verse and there. whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation. So that's referring to the cross. Ah, uh, he displayed him publicly, publicly as our proposition. What gave, what atoned for our sin and appeased God is the death of Jesus, and it's publicly done. Amen. Satan ought to have seen it. Continue. In his blood through faith. Uh-huh. This was through faith there that we receive it by faith. Okay, continue. This was to demonstrate his righteousness. Oh, God did that. The death of Jesus is to what demonstrate. Didn't notice there? He's not talking about our righteousness now. His righteousness. Why did he have to demonstrate his righteousness? The devil cannot accuse him anymore because God's principle has been fulfilled. Our sin was not overlooked. That's what God is. The devil wanted to. The devil thought that God will overlook our sins. Ah, you follow him. So God, at the end, the devil saw sees that God did not overlook our sins. That's number one. Number two, even in paying for our sin, he took his only son. It's literally he himself. He paid for it. To demonstrate his what? Righteousness. That's silencing the devil's accusation against him. So the devil, you ought to see now that somebody paid the price. Is that clear now? Now read the next verse. Because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed in the forbearance of god all that time people were committing sins before jesus came and the devil kept accusing him he kept quiet forbearance patience continue for the demonstration i say of his righteousness at Uh the present time Uh so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in jesus he will be both what are you following Here's the answer now. God is both what? Just or what's under word? Justifier. No, before we get to that, sorry, I didn't ask the question well. What's under word for being just? Righteous. Are you following? That's for God Himself. 
He's just. So when the devil will be taken to hell, he cannot ask God again, where are the other people? Where are the believers? <laughs> and he can't say, uh-uh, it's unjust, you're sending me alone. Am I the only one? He can't say that. Because just God will say, look at the cross. My son died and paid for it. So God is just. That's number one. Number two, through the cross, God is just. He didn't have to show his, his righteousness. Amen? And he also justifier of who? Who has faith in Jesus. Exactly. So God is just for forgiving us. That's what he says. He's just on his own. From the way he handled the situation. And also, he's the justifier of anyone who will accept what he has given. Did you notice that? First Peter, now I'm talking about the another scripture came. First John, quickly. First John. Are, are, you, are we done with that one? I think so. So, did you see, did you understand that scripture now? Alright. First John 1, I think verse 7. First John 1, 7, I think. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, Mm -hmm. we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Mm. Go ahead. If we say that we have no sin, Mm -hmm. we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Mm -hmm. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us. Did you notice that again? And if we confess, he is what? Faithful, he promised. And if he does it, nobody can challenge him. He is just for doing it. <laughs> that was John and that was uh, Paul. Are they saying the same thing? Yes. Amen? Are you done with that? Huh? Chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. Mm-hmm. My little children... I am writing these things to you uh-huh. so that you may not sin. Uh-huh. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Okay. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. That you may not sin. But if, and not when, if you sins, we have who? Was that a lawyer? A lawyer who will go before God. And what is going to be his basis of argument? I, listen, I am the propitiation. If you see me, you see there just I died. I used my blood. What what is are you looking from them? And the devil silences. Did you see that? Both his role as a lawyer and as a sacrifice and high priest. All in one verse. Now here's a lesson. Paul says, are we, con- are we to continue to see that grace shall abound? What grace is he talking about? Grace of justification, grace of forgiveness. Are you following? So now that we know that the devil should not accuse us, does it mean we should go and do whatever we like? Aha! That's what I say we must talk about. Does anybody follow? you don't take this wrongly and say you know what Jesus died for me 
the devil shouldn't accuse me. That what a lot of people do in church. They hurt people. They do all kinds of things. I and somebody say, Hey, my sis, don't listen to them. That's no condemnation. People apply scripture wrongly. I'm not apologizing to anyone. Anyway, God knows. God has justified me. Uh, uh, the Lord is intervening for me, interceding for me. I don't care. That's what a lot of people do. Let me tell you what happens. If you do, the Bible says, those who sin willingly. The diary may not no sacrifice for them. Meaning that's not how to apply that. Amen. You know those people who preach that you don't need to confess your sins? That's their understanding of these things. One of them, that, that just a prince of some, some guy, that's, he uses this scripture a lot. So because of that, you don't need to confess anything according to him. But I think he is getting it now. So why, with all this, knowing that we have been justified, that the devil's accusation against us, what do we do? You have to receive it. Look at what he says in chapter 2. What if things say, first thing it says in chapter 2, I write these things to you, that you do what? Sin not. But if you sin, we do what? Have. That's a provision. It's a gracious provision. How do you deal with prov- gracious provision? You perceive it by faith. And you have to what? Receive it through belief. How do you receive it through belief? You have to repent. You have to confess. If he needs to apologize, you have to. That's believing. Do we understand? See, when people don't understand these things, they stand somewhere and say whatever they think. It doesn't work that way. It didn't say when you sin. It said if you sin. That you do not sin. That's the reason why. Because if you continue to sin, then you're giving the devil the opportunity. And you know what? Your conscience, unless your conscience has been seared with hot iron, your conscience will tell you, one way or the other you may keep going and feel like one day you will catch up so you read the new testament paul keeps saying i make sure i keep my conscience free my conscience are you following the same paul and john who is writing these things who are writing this thing so it's your job to keep your conscience clean. if your brother offends you go to him why all these things say said praise the lord so you don't go about and say, I've been forgiven and, um, you know, so on and so forth. No, you have to apply it in your life. Let's read the verse. We're not going to the text of it. Let's read the verse. Verse 11. Verse, verse 11. Right? Is that where we should go? Yeah. Okay, let's read it. Verse 11. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not Love their life even when faced with death. Okay, Re- remember how there's a war going on. Uh-huh. Huh? He was cast down to the earth. And re- remember when he was cast down, there was an announcement. The moment he was cast down, let's go back to verse 10 and look at that announcement. Then I heard a voice in heaven saying, Now the what? The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have, have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before 
our God day and night. When you lose your headquarters, you can't function effectively. I guess that was why that announcement came. You understand? They lost their base. Hallelujah. Can you imagine when we were renting and they came and drove us out of that place? When we used to rent. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you don't find any other place, we can worship effectively. Are you, are you following? That's why that announcement came. It's been counted down. And when it was cast down, then the saints took it upon themselves now. They were not waiting for Michael anymore. But with anointing on them and on the basis of two things. Let's mention the two things and next week we, we start. What were the two things? The cross and the what? The word. In a nutshell, these were the two primary weapons that they used to finish the devil off there. Amen? The cross. Can anybody suggest exactly what we mean by the cross there? Did they carry crosses and hit the devil with? Okay. Ah? Uh, okay, said it. Okay. The cross there means the finished work of Christ through, of God, through the death burial resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that's the cross there that's number one do we have the same thing now amen what was the next thing the word of their testimony okay and we're going to read the outline next time but before we go let me give you some food for thought how did they use those two weapons uh-huh. You didn't read the outline ahead of time. How did they use it effectively to accomplish such a feat? Anybody? If 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 they if doesn't get don't get the answer tonight, nobody goes. Why are you saving them? Use the mic. By confessing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for okay. us and then he resurrected to you know that's the answer. That's the answer number one. That's a major part of the answer. But let me ask you another question, then I'll piggyback on that. What do you call that? What do you call that? What you just said? Yeah, confession. Take the mic. Testimony, yes. Yeah, but where do they fit in? I, I, I thought you said Belize. Say this trip, this, this trip is getting into your head. Be careful now, otherwise I'll stop you. Am I the only one who had Belize? You are dreaming Belize. No, no. I'm going to go with you. You said belief. Do you believe her? Yes. She yeah, she was taking belief. She loves belief too much. For the past one month, I don't hear any other thing. Belief, belief, belief. Next year, I'll take a summer vacation in belief. Praise God. Christina's looking at me, say, "What? What kind of pastor is this?" Praise God. We need some humor, I'm telling you. We need some humor. Now, 
belief. Uh, why were they able to believe? What led to their belief? So, these were people who went to church and somebody was preaching about the cross, which we don't preach. The things that matter. <laughs> They've had the message of the cross. That on the cross of Calvary, Jesus defeated the devil roundly. Disarmed him. Took their sins. Put it to the grave. Came out without that body of sin and sicknesses. God's resurrection of Jesus was their validation. It was a proof that they have been justified. Do you understand? The resurrection of Jesus is the final proof of the justification of the believer. Romans 4. Yeah, Romans 4. Come on, quickly. Romans 4, 25, I believe. Okay. Uh, before we round up here, we're going to round up here. Amen. Romans 4, are you there? Let me show you how the resurrection of Jesus is the proof, is the signal. Verse 25. Yes. Now, before we get to verse 25, from verse 18, he's talking about Abraham's faith. And how Abraham was justified by his faith. You remember? Okay. And he talked about from there to 24. It was how Abraham got justified by faith. After that justification, apart from the justification, he 